Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we talk about whether it's still a good time to invest, and if positive investment returns can still be achieved in an environment of low interest rates, rising inflation, and high valuations. With Nikki Eggers, Head of Investments, Rob Smith, Head of Behavioural Finance, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. To find out about starting your investing journey with Barclays, visit barclays.co.uk forward slash investments. Hello, welcome to Word on the Street. And this week, I have been asked to tackle the often asked question, is it too late to get invested? And I think we all we all know why we're asking that question. So I will be putting that to Will and Rob. Will, Rob, how are you doing? Hi. Hi, Nikki. Hello, Nikki. Hi. So, Will, we're going to start with you, you because right. there's been quite a bit going on with respect to central banks. So what have we seen in the world of capital markets, especially with respect to the Bank of England and everything that comes with that? Well, in the end, Nikki, it was a bit of an anticlimax in trade. Mm. So various members of the so-called Monetary Policy Committee, the, the sort of rate-setting people within the Bank of England, including the new chief economist and the governor himself, have been busily building expectations for some action over the course of the last month. So they've been telling us pretty much that they would raise rates at this uh, this meeting, not quite as explicitly as that. But that's been the way that market has interpreted it. But anyway, as it turns out, both of those actually voted against a rate rise in the in, in the meeting. Um, and it looks like kind of worries about growth won over in the end versus inflation. So there was no rate rise. Uh, markets were a bit disappointed in the end. I guess sort of sterling kind of fell and bond markets were sort of uh, well bid for. We'll see what happens in December. But, you know, we'll certainly have a better idea by then of what happened to the labour market as the fellow scheme finished. And I think, you know, that's that's what you're seeing more broadly in markets at the moment, just what I described is sort of, you know, that you're seeing investors worrying a bit now that they've overinterpreted some of the central bank jibber jabber of the last few months around the world, that they've, 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 they're expecting too many rate hikes in too short a time frame. And actually, the central banks are not quite ready for it on the evidence of today. So lots, lots of reading of runes, but probably misreading, I think. <laughs> and, and, I, and I guess, you know, that, that's not surprising, given where we are in the cycle and the kind of bull run that we've seen in markets. And and as I mentioned, I think, you know, the, the, the clear question that we're going to unpack today is around market timing, because I think you can read it in both the investor press, but, but just generally, there is a real concern that there's a lot of doomsayers. And you don't need to be too imaginative to, to see potential pitfalls or potential negative stories. So where do you think, Rob, where, where do things stand? What's the answer right now with respect to, is it too late to get invested? <laughs> That's a very good question. I think from my point of view, you know, it's, it's a very complicated area to unpack, but I think there's a couple of issues that I want to flag and talk about. So firstly, is to do with the nature of, of how we sort of digest news and, and the fact that we find it somewhat obviously, very easy to recall the recent past, much more easily than anything sort of more distant, which then seeps into the way that we form expectations about the future. So this, this, you know, in the, in the study of sort of behavior is called recency bias. And it's particularly acute that we see at the moment, uh, given the sort of tragedy and economic wreckage in our rearview mirror. Um, so 
obviously good decisions about your long-term financial future should take into account a much wider and more balanced view of the past and than this sort of bias would would corral us into just relying on you know news flow of the very recent past and the other point to raise is our sort of natural attraction as, as human beings to bad news so our brains like fascinatingly are wired in such a way that we're naturally more highly receptive to risks usually because you know risk and negative events require prioritization and something for for us to do something about them sort of immediately and there's growing evidence that negative news triggers psychophysiological reactions that's quite a mouthful uh, <laughs> and it and increases our our sort of mental arousal our mental state and our, and our attentiveness while reactions to sort of positive news don't really differ much from seeing no news at all so you know so we it notice really, it more yeah a hundred percent so and mm. and and you know the old adage of bad news cells is is you know is is physiologically true, and 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 I think it's evidenced by when you look at the tone of the news flow and how negative it can be most of the time, more than is sort of justifiable given the actual balance of positive and negative events that are actually occurring around the world. And so I think what's really interesting is the BBC is seen as you know uh, uh, a news outlet that's more balanced than many other sources, should we say, around the world. But nonetheless, when you go and look at the headlines and when I was thinking about what we're talking about today, I looked on the headlines and, you know, out of all of the news clips sort of on the homepage, 90% of them were, you know, about bad events, negative events, murders, crashes, legal action, a man who had his house stolen by identity fraudsters. And there was no real good news. Now, the issue with, with bad news, the double whammy, if you like, is that negative outcomes tend to be very dramatic and visceral, like some of those stories I've told you about. And therefore, it's very easy for us to overweight the likelihood of those events happening when we're thinking about the future and believe what should really be considered sort of low probability events as much more likely outcomes. And that, I think it's not to say that we should throw away all negative news and and, and not think about that at all and, and be constantly optimistic about the future, the economy included. But as investors, we need to ensure that we maintain a balanced view and one that matches against our sort of longer term goals and aspirations. Because the reality is the picture is always much more complex and there's cause for both optimism and, and concern at most points in time. I, I would sort of just not uh, provide a counterpoint, but I'd say, look, we are at an undeniably com complicated juncture for the world economy. The path ahead is, is you know, I mean, the words like stagflation, I mean, we still think that looks a stretch for now. We still think the world economy has too much pent up demand in its back pocket for that to be your base case. We hope that, you know, as supply chains continue to unclog in months and quarters, we should see some of that pressure released. Nonetheless, you know, the pandemic is is far from over. You know, as we're seeing daily in the UK still, uh, the Chinese economy and her policymakers have a very wobbly tightrope to walk. Developed world electorates remain plenty capable of delivering us a few surprises too. And that, that's just focusing on the stuff we think we can see uh, and ignoring the ever-present potential for something random and unpredictable um, to crop up. However, before I sort of discourage anyone from ever investing again and sort of, you know, not, not, even, not ever listening to us, the answer to that, in our opinion, is still diversification, not disinvestment or no investment. Well, that's that's really clear. Quite difficult to say, not disinvestment or no investment, but but putting you on the spot because I know that people think about this every day, and our and our teams are asked this every day. You know, would you get invested right now? So, you know, as I mentioned before, we are towards the towards the end of the third great bull market of the post war period, and you know, we saw through two thousand nine to two thousand and twenty. So. 
that was a bull market that that really came from humble beginnings. Back in 2009, we saw corporate profit margins were on the floor, valuations were, interest rates were incredibly high. And, and you know, frankly, a, a lot of people will not remember interest rates being in the high numbers. And so those three factors really moved everything towards stock market valuations really soared. So Whilst we all know that adage, past performance, not reliable guide to future performance, or hopefully our listeners will. But as we think about this new cycle or new business cycle that we're entering, profit margins are clearly much higher. Valuations are pretty, pretty full. And we've currently got interest rates at all around the lowest ever for many centuries. So whatever the near term future holds... I guess the the received wisdom right now is those likely returns, even from diversified investments, are surely going to be lower than we've seen in the last decade, which was stellar. I mean, if anyone's listened up to this point and they're still invested, you're absolutely crazy. But yes. <laughs> so no, I mean, obviously, Nikki, I am always fully invested. And actually, I try as, and force... As am I. <laughs> of course, I'm, we all practice what we preach. And, we do. And, you know, I, I try and force the same uh, philosophy on any few remaining friends and family that might listen too. So it's not just a matter of victimising uh, clients with this mantra. But yes, you are right. I, I think lower returns to a diversified batch of investment should be your baseline in such a context. You rightly sort of highlight all of the things to think about. However, I think it's also worth remembering that the baseline is never the only outcome, far from it. Around that core expectation will always lie a multitude of potential paths ahead, some worse, some better. There's certainly a plausible upside case that centers on the idea that we're in the foothills of the fourth profound industrial transformation in humankind's long history. And these tend to be very attractive times to be invested if you can make sure that you're you know, well-positioned in investment terms. And I guess from, from my point of view, for those people who are you know, sitting there asking those questions, the, from my point of view, the key to good investing is really aligning how you understand the risk of investments with what you're trying to achieve. Because often there's, there's a mismatch there and that's what causes people to, to be underinvested or uninvested. So if you're thinking about risk as the possibility for prices to fall in the short term, will make investments and, and riskier ones in you know, stock markets around the world very unattractive during many periods, because of course, prices are going to fall as well, as well as rise. And cash will then seem like an obvious alternative because it gives you that stability. However, as we've talked about ad nauseum in the past, cash is, is safe in, in the, the nominal value can't fall in your bank account. But in the current and you know, likely future environment, as, as alluded from our conversations about the banking the base rate this morning uh, earlier in the call is that you're guaranteed to be losing the real spending power of your money but it's not an easy risk to see and to perceive because it occurs slowly over time and it's it's sort of invisible so in, in a world where we believe that continued innovation of mankind and our ability to utilize that innovation will lead to long-term growth in capital markets whatever the prospects a diversified investment as we were just talking about gives you the best chance of beating inflation with your savings over the long term. So to maximize the potential of your savings, a diversified portfolio with an appropriate level of risk for your circumstances and for what you're trying to achieve should be a starting point. I think everything you've both said is incredibly important because as you said with your recency comment that a person coming into investing perhaps for the first time in the last couple of years might expect a 
sensible return to be in the high single digits or, you know, in the mid-teens, that, that's a very unusual total return for a, for a diversified basket of assets. And I think, I think what you were saying, Will, and, and correct me if I'm putting the wrong words in your mouth, but what you're saying is don't expect that kind of return year in, year out, or, or, or even on average, perhaps for the next few years, but that ultimately our expectation is that by being invested sensibly and with a commitment for the right kind of time period, you're likely to end up with better returns than after inflation effects on on holding cash for the long term. Is that a fair synopsis? That's exactly the aim. No, 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 that's exactly inflation beating returns is what we want to deliver. That's the that's the whole point. And the fact that we've been able to deliver strong inflation beating returns for several years is, of course, you know, is, 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 is extremely satisfactory. But we want to be a bit cautious about what we promise. That's just sensible, I think. Yeah. OK. And and obviously we talk quite a bit about how we organise our investments for the long term. But one of the things that that I know people that are considering either topping up their investments or starting investing will look to particular events and think, well, I'll just wait for that to get out of the way or I'll wait before I step in. So there is a lot going on at the moment. You just mentioned, Will, at the start of the call around the Bank of England outcomes. Obviously, that was pretty much a non-event. But, you know, we've got French elections. There's a lot of focus on the political environment. Is there anything that perhaps people should be just waiting for a bit more clarity or certain things to come to pass before perhaps making a decision? That's a very good question and one that I think will resonate with a lot of listeners because it's probably one of the most commonly asked questions that, that, that we that we get. But I think the reality of thinking about do I, you know, do I try and wait out, you know, these risky periods or, or some uncertainty that's, that's sort of you know, coming up in the future to get invested? There's, there's a couple of problems with, with that approach, you know, and the, and the first thing is, a, it's extremely difficult to actually, to execute in reality from an emotional perspective. And what I mean by that is there'll always be more risks on the horizon, right? There's, there is, that's the fundamental reason why investors can be compensated with higher potential returns than the holding cash is for taking some risks. So the thought that maybe there won't be any risks on the horizon in three months time is, is, is a fallacy. The never ending list of causes for concern that will be out there means that just rarely seems to be a perfect time to invest. And I think, you know, if we flip it on its head, conversely, periods where there appears to be little risks to investment markets and very positive levels of investment sentiment are usually followed by poor returns. And so, as I talked about before, the risks will likely appear inflated by the news flow that you're seeing. And as Will and, and our investment strategy team often state, you know, many of those stories may not actually be that relevant for well-diversified long-term investors. And I think the, the second thing about trying to sit out any short-term uh, uncertainty is when we look at many different permutations of short-term timing strategies where you try and wait for a dip and, and to buy and then you know you're selling once you've you've achieved a certain level of return then to try and buy on a dip again only a tiny tiny fraction of all those possible permutations we, we look at and try and run through kind of historically would be to buy and hold strategy now obviously we have to say you know past performance is not a predictor of future performance but what it shows you is you can see there's a significant relationship between the time those strategies spend invested in the market versus in cash and the return they achieved. 
which means there's no really easy way to wait out for a better performance because you, you essentially need to know these very small, precise periods where you're going to be out of the market before getting back in again. And, and the level of prescience needed to, to do that may seem it's achievable in hindsight, but the reality, it, it really isn't. Yeah, I mean, I think also you've just you've you've just got to take into account. And I'm going to get boring here very quickly, but you've got to take into account decades of accumulating evidence on something called efficient market hypothesis. This is now pretty well established, and really is, in, in my opinion, anyways, the single most important thing you've got to try and understand as an investor. Put simply as possible, this is the idea that all that we can know, fear, and hope from our current vantage point is already incorporated more or less into prices. So changes in prices reflect the incorporation of new information, information we couldn't have reasonably known in advance. Now, in such a world, there are just few bargains to be had. It's a world where the part-time investor is at a significant disadvantage in many ways. Now, the point here is that if everything we can see is already incorporated into prices, there's no edge to be gleaned from responding to the widespread worries about energy prices or a particularly pivotal election, say, the range of potentially related outcomes is almost is mostly already accurately reflected in prices. So you've got to ask whether you genuinely know something about some aspect of the future that isn't already reflected in prices, something that nobody is talking about. Now, that's a full time job. You can chase yourself in circles here. The simplest way uh, you know, to think about all of this really is just to focus on what you're trying to achieve in the longer term. What are you trying to really, uh, what are you really trying to access? Now, the truth here is that the job of hunting for bargains, which we is something we devote considerable energy, focus and specialism to, as you know, you know, is only ever a small part of the overall returns to diversified investment. The main bit, the driving force of your long-term returns remains founded on the world's ability to invent new stuff and get better at using that new stuff. That's productivity. I know I banged on about it a lot, but the prospects here remain strong in our opinion, whilst also difficult to predict in terms of time, place and magnitude. Now that means today is always the best day to get invested as you're giving yourself more days, hours, minutes uh, to scoop up the rewards to productivity. Indeed, yeah. And I think the concept is we'll just talked about of efficient market hypothesis is it can be quite difficult to try and wrap your head around and even even for some people in the finance industry and i think part of the reason for that is the role that narratives have in helping us understand the world and obviously what you want to think is this said company and i don't know the technology sector is builds a product and you think that oh well that product's clearly going to have a good place in the future clearly going to generate revenue therefore that's a good investment but if that narrative is known by everyone else, then it's, you know, as Will mentioned, you've got to know something that is being not being talked about by anyone else. I think to provide a slight balance, though, I guess, to, to Will's point here, while markets do appear efficient in the main, the thing that I would say is that as investors, we're all human and our reasoning can be fallible. And although information, you know, maybe being incorporated into prices, yeah, in, in a reasonably efficient way, we still see periods where markets overreact or underreact to certain sort of information. And this tends to be noticeable during periods of increased uncertainty, as this environment triggers more of the sort of behavioural biases that I often talk about, meaning investors waiting of the potential outcomes that might happen in the future may become skewed beyond what's kind of reasonably justified from, from the sort of data. And this is not an endorsement of attempting to try and time the market because you know you can see that everyone's being irrational though like you know the reality is that the uncertainty that creates the conditions for this these opportunities also means it's incredibly 
um, sort of easy to have misplaced confidence in knowing which of the possible future outcomes will is actually going to play out. Previous similar uh, market events will likely seem obvious in hindsight as they can now fit into like a, a narrative as I talked about before which tends to feed our instincts that we can we can we can see what's coming around the corner and we can time our entry into the market but ultimately we want to be wary of about having the what really is you know the near certain levels of confidence that you need in order to make a, a decision to allocate 100% of your investable money either to cash or investments it's a very it's a very binary call and and the yeah like i say the, the confidence required to do that is is got to be very difficult to muster a heroic confidence and and i think that's that's a, that's a good point and actually you know these behavioral shortcomings that you talk about they're a very important part of our tactical asset allocation process you know both in what we are looking to exploit in markets and police in ourselves you help us you know the taa team is tasked tactical asset allocation team, sorry, is tasked with, you know, finding shorter term opportunities, bargains, if you will, at the level of the various asset classes we have in our toolkit. However, even with this kind of full time, highly experienced group of professionals, you know, scouring the world's capital markets day in, day out, we limit this activity to the fringes of our multi-asset class funds and portfolios. Each year, we're looking to add tens of basis points to overall performance. Now, to unleash this activity on a greater proportion of the funds and portfolios would dramatically, you know, to, to your point, Rob, overstate our confidence in what we can actually see and act on with regards to the near-term future. Look further out. That's where the kind of gargantuan forces of productivity become, you know, a little bit more reliable in our opinion. Now, if you add together the idea that markets are relatively efficient, not perfect, but relatively efficient, with the justifiable belief that the future of productivity, the driving force of capital markets returns, is both relatively assured, but unpredictable in time, place and prime beneficiaries, then the only logical answer is a diversified investment portfolio today. And making adjustments at the fringes as opposed to wholesale, yes, in, out, in, out. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay, exactly. I think you guys have been very clear. And as always, especially Rob, I feel like I take some of the concepts you talk about and try to apply them in, in many of my decision making in, in everyday life. And- <laughs> yeah, me too. If only I could as well. But thank you very much, both of you. And thank you to our listeners. And we'll be back in a week's time. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.